This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. Today is the first day of spring. The day when the light and the dark are exactly equal. The equinox. when the unity of the darkness in which no thing can be distinguished and the multiplicity of the 10,000 things appearing in the light are exactly equal So, therefore, it's a very auspicious day. In the Book of Serenity, that ancient collection of Zen stories, in the very first case, there's a verse that says, Continuously, the mother principle runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade, incorporating the forms of spring. The mother principle of creation is incorporating these forms of spring. But what is this mother principle? Well, today uh, I invite you along with me to leap from this first case of the Book of Serenity to the very end of the book, case number 100, the grand finale of the Book of Serenity, a story called Lanyad's Mountains and Rivers, case 100. And the introduction, the warm-up to this story for today goes like this. One word can cause a nation to flourish. One word can cause a nation to perish. This medicine can kill people. This medicine can 
bring people to life. The benevolent seeing this, call it benevolent. The wise seeing this, call it wisdom. But tell me, where does the benefit or harm lie? If you feel efficiently warmed up, uh, here's the case. Here's the story. A monk asked teacher Lan Ya Jiao, purity is originally so. Purity is originally thus. How does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? And Lanya said, Purity is originally thus. How does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, great earth? That's today's story. It's a story that is secretly about Tathagatagarbha. It's not mentioned in the story itself, this term, but you'll see how it um, is based on the term. Tathagatagarbha, the essence of the thus come one, the heart of the Buddha, the womb of the Buddha, are different ways to translate this term. It's a synonym for Buddha nature. Tagatagarbha and Buddha nature, Buddha Datu, are uh, considered synonymous in various Mahayana sutras. The old land of India. And uh, just a little bit about this for those who. Um, haven't heard so much about this term to Tagatagarbha. In the Sri Maladevi Sutra, taught by one of our women ancestors, Queen Srimala. This is her lion's roar. She teaches that this Tathagatagarbha 
is naturally pure mind. It's one of myriad ways of talking about it that she mentions. It's the naturally pure mind, but it's temporarily obscured by greed, hate, and delusion. They seem to block it or mask it or veil it. At least they seem to for us. Which is why when we're feeling greedy, hateful, or deluded, it doesn't seem like our mind is naturally pure. And Queen Srimala also says that this Tathagata Garbha, this Buddha nature, this awakened womb is unchanging, unborn, and undying, and inherently pure. And particularly, one thing she says that I think uh, fits in nicely to today's story. is that this Tathagatagarbha is the basis, support, and foundation of all Buddha qualities like love and compassion. And it's the basis, foundation, and support for all conditioned phenomena. This teaching might be somewhat unique to this Sri Devi Simhanada Sutra. Which was uh, apparently a popular sutra in China and Japan. As I recall, Prince Shotoku, Dharma Prince of ancient Japan, uh, actually expounded the sutra and I think we even have his commentary on it in English. Lest we think that this has nothing to do with uh, our particular lineage of Dogen's practicing Verification. Dogen Zenji has an essay called Buddha Nature, in which he um, quotes the 12th Indian ancestor, Ashvagosha, who taught apparently that the forming of mountains, rivers, and the great earth is totally dependent on Buddha nature. And Dogen commenting on the saying of Ashvagosha says, 
In this way, mountains, rivers, and the great earth are all the ocean of Buddha nature. Mountains, rivers, and great earth are the ocean of Buddha nature. This uh, Buddha nature, Dogen says, this ocean of Buddha nature is not concerned with inner, outer, or in between. As the Buddha nature ocean is like this, seeing mountains and rivers is seeing Buddha nature. Dogen says, grass and trees Nations and states are mind, Dogen says. Because they are mind, they are sentient being. Because they are sentient being, they are being Buddha nature. Sun, moon, stars, and planets are mind. Because they are mind, they are sentient being. Because they are sentient being, they are being Buddha nature. So my ancestor Dogen Zenji says it like that. This is all kind of some background to, um, to this story. And this story is actually a quote, this question that the monk asks is a quote from the Sharangama Sutra, the, the heroic march scripture. Another Tathagatagarbha classic. And it's interesting to me that um, when the monk asked the question, he doesn't mention the previous sentence which uh, mentions Tathagatagarbha. Maybe, maybe in Zen, they feel like it's too, it sounds like too much of a technical term. Let's just leave it off and call it just purity. But um, you all don't mind a few technical terms, do you? So, um, We've already heard this term to target a guard. So, so please allow me to um, quote the sutra just before this part, leading up to this question of the, of the Book of Serenity story. The, uh, in the Sharangama Sutra, a disciple of Buddha named Purna asks this basically the same question as, as this monk will later ask a Zen teacher. In the Sutra, Purna asks the Buddha, 
Yeah. Like this. He says, Bhagavan, blessed one, if all sense faculties and objects, in other words, if all the eyes and the ears and the noses and, and all the sights and the sounds and the smells, and all the five aggregates of body and mind, uh, any type of experience, the sense fields and the consciousnesses, if all of these are the Tathagata Garbha, as I understand, you blessed one have taught, if all the sense faculties and their objects, if all the skandhas, the ayatanas and the datus, all these, all the possible realms of experience, if these are all the Tathagata Garbha, purity originally so, how does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? And all compounded characteristics, which gradually change, transform, and, and then begin again. That's the full question that it's uh, asked in, in the sutra. If all these experiences of sentient beings, eyes and colors and ears and sounds, all of you know, the workings of dualistic perception, and uh, we could just summarize it, all these um, dualistic experiences based on um, subjects and objects, and faculties and their objects. If all this stuff is this pure Jitagata Garbha, purity originally thus, how does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, the great earth, and all conditioned existence, which, which is changing, transforming, ending, and beginning again. Remember that we pretty much understood that Tathagata Garbha, as Srimala Devi said, is unchanging, it's unborn, undying. So how does this pure, unchanging reality of Buddha nature produce all this changing stuff. So in the, in the koan case, it's just like abbreviated uh, version of this question. Instead of saying, to target a garba, purity originally so, how does that produce mountain shivers in the great earth? The monk asks, Purity is originally so. How does it produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? But you see, purity is referring to Tathagata Garbha in the sutra. And in the sutra, the Buddha, of course, um, feels responsible to answer Purna's question. And um, 
since this is before the days of Zen, where the um, answers are, are very pithy and direct, the Buddha gives a little bit more elaborate answer, as um, is the Indian style. So it's interesting to me that there's like, in the sutra, there's this question and an answer. And in this case 100 of the Book of Serenity, there's the same question, but a different answer, a Zen answer. But um, it may be interesting to hear the Buddha's answer in the sutra. Purity is originally so. How does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? Shakyamuni Buddha replies like this. The Tathagatagarbha is the original, wondrous, perfect, and complete mind. much like Srimala Devi also taught. It's the, it's the original wondrous perfect mind and the Buddha goes on. It's not mind. He goes on to say, it's not mind, it's not emptiness. It's not earth, water, fire, wind. It's not eyes, not ears, not nose, not tongue, not body, not mind. Not color, not, not sound, not smell, no taste, not touch, no object of mind, no, not realm of sight, not realm of mind consciousness. It's not ignorance nor extinction of it up to not old age and death, not extinction of it. It's not um, suffering. It's not origination. It's not cessation. It's not the past. It's not knowledge and it's not attainment. Sound familiar? <laughs> Interesting to me. It's basically the heart sutra quoted here as a kind of definition for Tathagatagarbha in his Shurangama Sutra. And he goes on to elaborate the list a little bit more. It's not the six paramitas. It's not complete awakening. It's not parinirvana. It's not uh, eternity. It's not bliss. It's not the true self. It's not purity. <sighs> okay. We got what the Tathagatagarbha is not. And uh, then the Buddha says, this Tathagatagarbha is neither mundane, conventional experience, nor is it transcendent, ultimate truth. It doesn't fit into either of these categories. It is mind's original knowing. It is, now we're going to hear what it is. It is earth, wind, fire, and water. It is mind emptiness. It is 
eye, it is ears, it is nose, it is tongue, it is body, it is mind, it is color, sight, sounds, smell, taste, touch, object of mind, it is the, the all the all the consciousnesses, it is ignorance and the cessation of ignorance uh, um, up to old age and death and the extinction of old age and death. It is suffering, origination, cessation, and path. It is eternal, eternal, pure, true self, and uh, it is the true mind of awakening, perfect in everyone. It's none of the none of these experiences it, and now we hear it is all of these experiences. And then uh the Buddha says, it's like this person, maybe this was a story that was kind of known in the old days, but maybe a story was first told here of this person named Nyanyadatta of Shravasti. And Nyanyadatta uh, one morning happened to look at herself himself in a mirror and saw um, the face in the mirror and um, fell in love with the face in the mirror. Much like um, the Western myth of Narcissus. Became like actually super attached to this person that she saw in the mirror but at the same time, she became kind of obsessed and attached to this person in the mirror. She felt like she lost her own face. She couldn't find her own head in the story. And she went mad, totally insane, screaming through the town and saying, I've lost my head. Where is it? Somebody bring it back. Something like this. I've heard the story of Yadnyadatta looking at his face in the mirror before, and I always thought it was a bit strange. And somehow today, I, I really appreciate this story, weird story, that Yadnyadatta uh, did his own face in the mirror, thought it was somebody else, and got like all these glaciers going around his face. He kept grasped at this face that seemed to be somebody else. And at the same time, he thought this face was somebody else and got all like worked up about it. He also felt like he lost his own face. He couldn't find his own face. So 
the Buddha doesn't exactly explain how this is related to all the stuff he just said before, but we might be able to see how it's like we're seeing something that's um, actually us. It really is ourselves, but we think it's something else. And when we think it's something else, we um, grasp it or try to get away from it, and get all confused about it. There's something about Tathagata Garba in this, in this little story of Nanya Datta. Looking at a face in the mirror, her own face, thinking she's lost her own face and getting worked up about the image that's appearing. Could it be that everything we're seeing is actually ourself, but we, uh, we feel like we've lost ourself and we're, we're all involved in these images and reflections that we think are not ourselves. We're involved, we're overly involved in them because we think they're not ourselves. So uh, that's how the Buddha replied to Purna in the Sharangama Sutra. Then later, this is around the um, 10th century in China when um, Long Ya lived. And uh, this monk came to Long Ya and quoted this section of the Sharangama Sutra and said, Purity is originally thus. How does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? And Lanya said, Purity is originally thus. How does it suddenly produce mountains, rivers, and the great earth? In the commentary to this story, it says that Langya's response is called mounting the bandit's horse to chase the bandit. Mountain rivers and great earth are original purity. And Lanya is demonstrating their production with words. As, it, as the introduction said, 
one word can cause a nation to flourish. One word can cause a nation to perish. Words and, and conceptual thoughts are powerful, very powerful. We might say that the Takedagarbha, the womb of Buddha, gives birth to mountains, rivers, and earth through the, through the medium of sentient beings with conceptual consciousness. That's how I would understand it. I wouldn't, I would say if there were no sentient beings around and it's not like there's um, some non-sentient Buddha nature that produces mountains, rivers, and earth. That sounds maybe like um, Genesis in the Bible. And then pe the people came later and the animals came later, right? That's, that's a little different. To talk to God about, according to these sutras, um, as the foundation and the basis produces all phenomena, but it does so through us, through uh, the minds of sentient beings, like Dogen Zenji said earlier, sun, moon, stars, and planets are mind. Because they are mind, they are sentient being. Because they're sentient being, they are Buddha nature. We could say Buddha nature expresses itself as sentient beings, and sentient beings express themselves as mind, and mind expresses itself as mountain rivers and earth. And uh, I think one of the beautiful things about these Buddha nature teachings is that um, the world of mountains, rivers, and earth and all its problems and um, joys and concerns are the production of original purity. So therefore, uh, this world in its nature itself is originally pure. How could it be any other way? It often doesn't feel and appear that way to us, but, uh, but it is Buddha nature, original purity. Un it is unchanging. All this change that is happening in its actual nature is unchanging purity, expressing itself as constantly changing defilement. But because it's originally pure, uh, freedom is possible. If it weren't, if, if this world of um, suffering and um, dualistic conceptions and uh, greed, hate, and delusion 
uh, was really that way in its true nature, it, it would be a hopeless cause. It could, liberation would be impossible. So just like there's the face in the mirror uh, can be perceived as somebody else, something else apart from ourself and therefore um, when it's perceived that way, immediately there's no alternative but greed, hate, and delusion. Or it can be recognized as ourself and nothing's missing. So the verse that uh, caps up this Book of Serenity story expresses something like this. Hunger's verse says, seeing existence without considering it existent Turning the hand over, turning the hand back. The person on Mount Lanya does not fall behind Gautama, Buddha. On one, we, we see one side of the hand, and uh, it seems to be not ourself, and we turn it over and see the other side of the same hand is in fact uh, ourself. <laughs> the comments on this verse, um, one of the comments on this verse says, all noodles are made by people. That's the way they said it in the old days. Is, uh, is there anything that you'd like to um, ask about or bring up regarding this story, these stories? Do you believe it? I mean, I think, I mean, maybe we've heard this kind of thing before, but I think um, many people in this world would be um, beyond shocked to hear that uh, originally pure Tathagatagarbha produces gives birth to mountains arisen earth. And even if we think it's a cool idea, it sounds good, but, um, but really deep in my heart, I don't believe it. 
I like, I like the idea, but um, when I look out at the mountain, I'm currently living in the mountains and they're around me, um, I'm right down at the bottom of them. So when I look up at them, they're re- they look really, really big and they look really solid and all these storms don't seem to uh, uh, change them. And yeah. And, and when I walk up into them, uh, I feel even more so like the body gets tired walking up there. The air gets thin. And, um, and it's sometimes hard for me to open to this teaching of the Buddhas and the Zen ancestors that um, these mountains are uh, produced by originally pure, unchanging, unborn, undying, pure mind of Buddha nature. How about you? Yo, son. Can we get away with saying mountains, rivers, and the great earth are originally thus? Why stumble over purity? We could probably get away with it. You could get away. (laughs) Could it be that, um, that the word purity uh, particularly in, in these Tathagatagarbha teachings uh, is just another synonym for thus. Just another word for thus. But it's, it's kind of loaded in, uh, I think, in, for us, when we hear purity, we naturally think of, um, of impurity. We think of something being like dirty or clean. Uh, it could be that it's not exactly that um, that it's clean or maybe the reason they use the word pure for um, Buddha nature is that it's um, it's it, like the uh, the obscurations of greed, hate, and delusion which seem, maybe do seem a little dirty to us, they, uh, they, don't, um, they don't stick to uh, this Buddha nature. So it's like, even if the Buddha, Buddha nature is covered by them, kind of enclosed within, encrusted by greed, hate, and delusion, it is at the same time naturally pure, which is the images that are often used in the Buddha nature teachings are like, it's like gold ore that's in, it's like, um, you know, pure gold encrusted in, and it's, what do you call that? It's the ore, the actual stuff around the gold. So like the, uh, 
like encased in all this other um, dirt. It's like it's buried in the ground and it's like um, buried in the dirt. But the, but the gold itself actually doesn't get dirty. It's, you know, all the metaphors are a little bit off because um, that one sounds like the dirt around the gold and the gold itself are two different things. That's a limitation of that analogy. Um, but that's where the mirror of Yadnadatta, I think, is an even more, um, it's still somewhat limited because it's packaging words, but it, I think it gets closer at um, the relationship between the dirt and the purity. In other words, the, the face that Yadnadatta thought was somebody else is really his own. And the same face that, that seems to be other, it's the birth of duality, is actually um, not other. So that which seems to be impure, impure here means separate from me. That's often how they use this word purity. That impure separateness, when I look in the mirror, is itself the pure reality of my true face. So that's what the mirror metaphor I think is, is quite good because in that case, the purity and the impurity are not the slightest bit separate. They're exactly the same thing, just seen from two different perspectives. Just like the, uh, the other great classic Indian uh, analogy of seeing a deadly snake on the path and thus um, giving rise to all kinds of clashes like kill it, <laughs> get rid of it, get away from it, um, I don't like it. And then it's, it's a little dark, so we pull out our prajna flashlight and look a little closer. It's actually not a snake, it's just a, it's just a stick. A curvy stick that looked like a snake. And uh, thus, um, it's not two different things. It's one, one, reality that appears like an impure snake, but is really just a pure stick uh, seen in a the light, then uh, the nice part about this particular metaphor is it's, it's like uh, brings in the kind of um, the klesha aspect. Right? When we see it in, the, in this false way as a snake, we, it arouses all this greed, hate, and delusion. And uh, as soon as we see its reality, we're suddenly relieved. We're not afraid of it anymore. Suddenly, in this, in this snake story, there's this huge sigh of relief. It's not what I thought it was, and therefore, my aversion towards it also 
uh, ceases on the spot. Although it, there might be some, because, because of the, uh, the human thing of like, adrenaline, got this adrenaline was kind of like all mixed in with the greed, hate, and delusion. And uh, as soon as we see that it's just a stick and not a snake, um, we're not really averse to it anymore. But the adrenaline has this delayed reaction, <laughs> doesn't it? So it takes us a while to settle down. I mean, it's totally harmless. It's just a stick. It's totally okay. But there's, um, it takes a while for the, for the adrenaline to catch up with the understanding. So I think that's kind of also how it is for us on these things. I just wanted to note that, that John has a digital hand up there. Ah, oh, digital hand. John. Hi, uh, Reverend Kukkefan. Uh Let's see. Uh, well, I wanted to clarify uh, one thing. I have a question, but just uh, is this the same Master Dunya as quoted in the Ehe Kotsu, Kotsu Damong? Oh, um, no, uh, it's a different one. This is Langya instead of Lunya. Yeah. And, and uh, there's, I tried looking into Langya and see if I could find some other stories about him. And um, um, there's not much known about him. He, he's in the Linji lineage in the, in the kind of later period of tension. Um, except this one other story that's quoted in the uh, in the commentary, where Long Longya Jiao says, um, "Seeing, hearing, perceiving, and knowing are all the cause of birth and death, samsara, suffering." Seeing, hearing, perceiving, and knowing are all the root of liberation. Goes very nicely with this story case today. Uh, he says, it's like a lion springing forth, north, south, east, west, without stopping. If you don't understand, then just don't turn against old Shakyamuni. Hum! Hum is a, in this case, is a Sanskrit bija, seed syllable. Uh, let um, in, at least in, in contemporary Vajrayana is um, the seed syllable for mind itself. Was that, did you have more um, question, John? Well, um, so I wanted to lay it on to um, the um, how oh, Thich uh, how he lays out um, the uh, 
sort of the, the, the mind-only presentation. So he's saying, uh, his presentation, if I understand it, uh, is he's saying, we have an object like a brain and we have consciousness and we would call one uh, a mind and we would call one an object of mind. Um, and yet- Whose presentation is this? Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, Thich Nhat Hanh, okay. And, and then he said, even though we might think that the brain precedes consciousness, uh, to our way of understanding, we say that, that consciousness is necessary to even talk about having an object of consciousness. And so we would say, this is the premise on which this duality of object and, mind, and object of mind and mind can arise. And so we would give, we would say there's a kind of a mind underneath the two. I'm trying to make that mind underneath the two be Tathagarbha. The two being, um, uh, mind which are the two? Or object of mind. And the, so like if I said I have a, uh, a mind that is um, able to, to think of and perceive a brain um, and that that's co-arising, uh, that I'm also having an inference of a mind that can do so, and that inferential mind is the is the is the sort of more basic mind. Yes. Well, I think it's wonderful for one that um, that Tignarhan brings out this point because um, um, in modern times, brain is is a big issue. We're we're very scientifically based, so so I think many people would say. Yes, yes, this is I, all this mind only kind of thing sounds good, but, um, but really it all comes from the brain. So I appreciate Thich Han's um, more dharmic uh, perspective that actually what we call brain as a like physical object of perception is, a, is um, perceived by mind. So, so mind is kind of uh, not exactly prior to, but... Um, but um, more primary, generally in Buddha Dharma, than the, than the objects of mind, like a brain. So people would say, well, but if we don't have a brain, there's no more mind. Um, actually, that's not what the tradition teaches, but it's what science teaches. Um, and we do, of course, know that there's a strong correlation between so-called brain and the mind and we can test poking at areas of brain and it affects mind and vice versa so there's definitely a relationship but um but uh we can't really prove that there's no kind of mind when the physical brain dies but we cannot we can't also prove scientifically that there is so that's why uh, people often feel this way and as far as this thing of um, that's an interesting question about underlying because uh, yeah, de- generally Yogacara tradition talks about the mind and the objects of perception and it doesn't talk about anything underlying that it's just you, we, we first look at objects and, um, and realize that they are actually mind dependent on mind uh, and therefore the mind is in, in this dependent relationship. So the mind doesn't really exist on its own either. And therefore 
not finding the object or the mind, we realize emptiness. That's one way of looking at kind of yogacara or mind-only tradition, which doesn't bring in generally this concept of Tathagata Garbha. Then, um, you know, sometimes the Tathagata Garbha teachings are kind of mixed in with yogacara. But it's interesting to me that um, the yogacara founders of, um, you know, Asanga and Vasubandhu, um, basically never mentioned Buddha nature or Tathagatagar, except this one treatise that's all about, um, all about Buddha nature that's maybe attributed to Asanga. Uh, so it's, it's um, Tathagatagar is almost like this other way of looking at things. And um, we might say that, yeah, that, well, it sounds like Srimala Devi is, is, is saying it kind of like you said it, that um, this Tathagata Garbha is the basis and foundation and um, support for all Buddha qualities and also all conditioned things, which would include objects of mind and consciousnesses and minds, all, all possible realms of experience um, arise from, I mean, she just says that Tathagata Garbha is their foundation, basis, and support. Then um, people like Dogen are saying, uh, or Ashpagosha that Dogen's quoting is saying, um, Buddha nature gives rise to these things. These things are dependent on the Buddha nature. Uh, and yet, We'd, I think we also want to be careful about saying there's this under, unchanging underlying essence that all this stuff is coming out of, and the stuff that's coming out of it is different from it. That would be a kind of duality uh, that would be tempting to fall into. But it's more like um, the images and the mirror. Uh, the images are not like something separate from the mirror. They're the, they're the display of the mirror. They're the, um, they but are the, actually just the mirror. But the mirror itself is an extra concept in that one, isn't it? Like, uh, in that one we would say, oh, we, I, uh, I see myself in the mirror, but mirror would be something extra, kind of. Yes. Um, yeah, all these all these analogies are somewhat limited, right? Um, uh, and yet, look. Sometimes it seems that the mirror is used as a as an analogy for this Buddha nature, because you can't see the mirror itself. It's not really some thing, like an actual mirror is a is a thing. But Buddha nature is like the um, the way that a mirror um, can manifest images but can't be seen itself. So, so um, if we don't get too literal about the metaphor, then, um, then there's something about this mirror-like quality of um, unchanging awareness that it really never, doesn't change at all, but is totally ungraspable at the same time and not located and not like, um, not in time and not in space. 
and yet uh, um, produces, gives birth to time and space. So it, it makes food, but it's not part of the, of the digestive system, so to speak. How's that? It makes food, but it's not part of the digestive system. It, it doesn't, it makes food, but it doesn't need food. Yeah, that's, that's an, I think that's an interesting question that maybe you can find teachings that probably fall on both sides of, can there be Buddha nature without any manifestation? Can there be Dharmakaya without the Rupakayas? Um, and I think generally Buddhist tradition um, leans more towards no. There's, the two truths are always inseparable. There's no ultimate without conventional, which is, I think, really beautiful teaching. Some other, sometimes it starts sounding like Dharmakaya is prior to, um, and there can be a pure Dharmakaya without any manifestation, and then later it can manifest. I, I don't think usually like in the, in the sutras, usually we don't find it quite that way. I think that tradition's beautifully trying to keep this non-duality of relative and ultimate always intact. Um, so in that way, um, you could say the Buddha nature producing um, mountain surface and earth, and yet um, it must always be producing something. It, or it's always, it's always good. It must be manifesting in some way. There's no, um, un, there's no unmanifest Buddha nature. That would be something we could investigate further. Excuse me. Uh, we have another event to manage this morning. So maybe if there's just one more question or comment. And there doesn't have to be. There doesn't have to be. Uh, oh, Tracy? Just to thank Kokyo for the teaching of, well, passing on the teaching of all noodles are made by people. That really captures the idea that is that, that dualistic consciousness of sentient beings what well, if if Buddha nature is pure knowing unchanging awareness expressing itself as the multiplicity of experiences through the minds of sentient beings through the dualistic minds of sentient beings creating mountains and rivers but that all noodles are made by people <laughs> really colorfully uh, captures captures that that latter part of what you said thank yes. you and, and that um, the original story is such a beautiful response instead of a long explanation long yeah um, just demonstrates through his words and uh, words of mountain, river, and earth, various mountains, rivers, and earth. That's how 
original purity expressing itself through Lanya actually produces mountains, rivers, and earth with these mm. very words. Mm. Original words were a question. How does that happen? It happens like this right now. So we've, we've produced a lot here. <laughs> there's, there's a whole world now um, created and will continue to be. So um, thank you for your, uh, for your presence today and um, enjoy whatever's next and incorporating all the forms of spring. <laughs> <laughs>